0: This is changing the narrative. I am David Reeves, your host, and I have with me today Dr. Jerry Bergman. Dr. Bergman is a prolific author. I mean, has written more books on the origins debate, creation versus evolution, uh, design in the human body, all sorts of topics. And uh, Dr. Bergman, you've also uh, taught many, many different courses over the years as a professor. Is that correct?
1: Right. I was a uh, taught at college. For 41 years, and among the courses I taught was a life science, of course, biology, as well as chemistry, physics, and uh, biochemistry, and cell biology, and cytology, and uh, courses related to uh, life. Also did some teaching in the area of psychology. Okay. I got licensed as a therapist, worked for Arlington Psychological Associates in uh, Toledo. Is that right? And I did therapy. I got burned out on that. Yeah. And you work with people who have problems, and you realize that they need a whole different life. Yes. And there's so much one can do to help them with their problems. And it's, it's limited, mostly women. Mostly their problems were men in their lives, their husbands, their fathers, their boyfriends, etc. Hmm. And so you often a lot of things you, you can't change.
0: We were talking about uh, kind of where culture's going and uh, all of these school shootings and things. You mentioned the other day they have a lot in common Uh, including the lack of of a strong male role model in their lives, things like that.
1: That's extremely important, and that's the same thing I learned when I worked at the clinic, that we have people who have problems. When you look at their family situation, you can understand why they have problems. If I was in the same situation, I probably would have problems as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, so we see the family eroding, and yet we're... Where is this definition
1: of family? Can we find that in Scripture? Well, obviously, yeah. The Scriptures talk about God created man and woman, and woman is to leave his family and marry and begin another family with somebody else. And so, therefore, that is obviously scriptural. And by the way, in studying, I used to teach a course called Family, and I noticed that they stress that every culture in the whole world has a family arrangement of some type. Hmm. and some have polygamy we're aware of that but on the other hand most families do not in the world most families structures according to the culture has one man and one woman and that's it Hmm.
0: so that's interesting of course that is what biblical principles teach and then you look at all of these societies you're saying and these cultures and they seem to follow usually as a whole that structure and yet Here lately, I mean, you know, we've always had problems in cultures where there was the Greeks or the Romans or so, so forth with homosexuality and all of these things. But lately, it seems like there have been celebrations of changing the definition of families.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, there has been, and there—it's hard to say why. But on the other hand, a lot of people want to change things because they feel, well, we have problems now. Maybe if we change things in this direction, we'll have fewer problems. But it's interesting that historically there were not people who were labeled homosexuals. Homosexual was behavior—you could be married, you could be in prison, you could be in many situations—and it was behavior. They did not, in throughout history, have a label. we're homosexuals, like we're calling somebody something which depends upon their behavior. And of course, by and large, behavior is only part of your lifestyle. It's only part of you. And to say that you're, you're gay, that you're born that way, and that people who are gay are different from people who are not, that's just not true. Obviously, sexual orientation is a result of the experiences you have. And that includes all types of sexual orientations. You notice that in working for the court, that indeed people are involved in things, behavior that we think is abhorrent. Well, when you look at their history, their background, you can understand why they are involved in certain behaviors that we feel are absolutely abhorrent. Hmm,
0: that's interesting. So it's a it's a matter of behavior, and we're trying to label people as as a result of their behaviors.
1: Right, and that's an interesting example of that is when I worked in the prison. had a lot of different careers, by the way, and I worked in the prison that people in the prison have homosexual relations, but if you call them gay or you say you're homosexual, (laughs) you're going to have to watch your your step from then on because that is not well-received at all. And when they go outside, when they're, of course, out of prison, then they resume normal uh, heterosexual relationships. But while they're in the prison, homosexual behavior is very, very common. But they don't claim to be, don't want that label, Yes. gay, homosexual. I'm not a homosexual. It's just they resort to this behavior when they're in the prison situation.
0: That is interesting. Now, we've been talking a lot about behavior, and I think that See, we call the podcast Changing the Narrative because today the narrative has been set by the media. It's been set by what we see on television. It has been set by the books that our children read in in kindergarten, right? And that narrative is usually from an atheistic mindset, okay? Right. But when we talk about behavior and we realize that out of all of the atrocious acts that have happened in Earth history... Many of those behaviors, whether it is, you know, genocide or or whether it is school shootings or whatever it is, a lot of those things over the past 150, 200 years seem to stem from this belief that we are nothing more than animals, the result of uh, vast ages of evolution
1: which some of the textbooks that I have used stress, humans are simply another animal, an Mm. animal, a mammal. We're primate, and that's what we are, we're primates. And of course, there's a world of difference between us and apes, as I often like to say, The idea that you believe apes became humans, really, if you think about it, is ludicrous. Mm. It's just not rational. And yet, that's what people believe. But of course, they don't think much about this concept. Now, I should stress that they don't teach, evolutions don't teach that apes evolved or monkeys or primates evolved into humans. What they teach is that us and primates, us and monkeys primarily, and the chipmunks, chimps primarily have Shit. a common ancestor. common ancestor. But of course, what was that common ancestor? That common ancestor was an ape. <laughs> and so therefore that's a word way of getting around it. Well, and
0: so many atheists will, or skeptics, will, will attack you if you try to say, well, you know, you, you're calling us a, a monkey. And they'll say, no, 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 we're not calling you a monkey. We, we are saying that we branched off from the evolutionary tree with a common ancestor, which was an ape-like creature, right? right? And so so, no we're not calling you a monkey you're a, a highly evolved mammal basically <laughs> and it, when you boil it down to it, it you are basically is what they're saying a type of a, an ape-like creature from an ape-like ancestor that missing some features grew extra features, features yeah. uh and the reason they're saying this is because if you put up a picture of let's say a, a gorilla and you put up a picture of a human, there are more similarities between the gorilla and the human than there are between a a horse and a human, right? Yeah, that's true. Physical
1: similarities must equal that we evolve from each other, right? Well, that's how they reason. But when you look at the behavior books that talk about behavior, they do stress that, well, animals behave this way and we are just animals. And so, therefore, we're going to behave this way. There's a, a person I have meant in the past, who wrote a whole book on basically homosexual behavior among animals. And his point is, it's really actually well done, very thick book, a lot of documentation. But what he's trying to say is, we are animals, animals involve themselves in homosexual behavior, and therefore, it must be okay for us to involve ourselves in that kind of behavior. When I think of that, though, I had dogs in my past, and it's interesting that dogs will find attractive legs and trees <laughs> and all kinds of other things. My little dog, we have a dog that's in adolescence now, and he finds his bed very, very attractive <laughs> and literally humps his bed, very excitedly involved in that bed. Uh, well, so animals are not very specific in, their, in the direction of their erotic relationships. Yes. And therefore, yes, there are some who are going to involve themselves in homosexual relations, but they're not thinking, well, this is a ma- male dog and I'm a male dog and therefore I'm involving myself in homosexual relations mm-hmm. they are are pretty unable in- to determine basically what they should have sexual relations with
0: it's it's not that they're attracted to, your dog is attracted to its its bed right it is fulfilling a need right okay but that is what separates us from the animals isn't it uh, the sense of conscience the sense of morality and Let's talk about morality for a moment, absolute versus objective. Okay. When we think about the biblical principles of absolute morality, that there is such a thing as something that is wrong, uh that kind of clearly defines what we're what's expected of us, right? Right. Of course, our sin nature will go against that, but that kind of clearly defines what's expected of us and yet these the Ten Commandments are not taught today they're shunned in the public school system and in universities as some archaic biblical principle yet what happens when we take away absolute morality
1: We can see what's happening in the world today when we take away absolute morality. And, of course, even when we worked in the prison, a lot of these people knew the difference between right and wrong, and they recognized what they were doing was not right. On the other hand, though, they were able to rationalize this and say things like, well, I'm just human. I'm I'm imperfect and therefore they allowed themselves to do these things even though it caused them all kinds of problems, Hmm. like prison sentences.
0: Right, right, and these are, again, these are man's laws, right? Right. It's not like we can go to a judge and say, "Well." you know, I'm not held to those principles because I choose what's right and wrong for myself. That You know, it's objective morality. The judge is going gonna, is gonna to look at you and then he's going to laugh at you. And he's like, no, 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 not in my courtroom, not in my country. We have laws, right? Right. So then we expect when it comes to the spiritual world that God's just going to laugh it away. You know, yeah, you can choose whatever you want is right. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden when the serpent tempted Eve?
1: Uh, Exactly. And what I always stress is that the biblical morality is not made for God or Jesus. It's made for us. Ah. And that if you follow this morality, things will go well with you. Not perfect, but things will go well with you. And indeed, we really need to stress that biblical morality is for our benefit. It's not for God's benefit, although God is pleased when we do the right thing. But on the other hand, it is laws that help us live our lives better. And you see this when you work. in in various places like the courts and in a psychological clinic and so on. You see that people disobey these laws so often, and that's what causes them problems.
0: Well, let's make it a little bit current. Let's talk about school shootings for a second, because we've been seeing a lot of uh, gun violence going on within the last few months, and we realize that there is a commandment. I mean, they can be boiled down into... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. But there's a commandment that says, don't murder someone, all right? So when you say, well, they're for our benefit, that commandment is actually for the benefit of society. It's for our benefit. Right. If that school shooter took that commandment more seriously we would be in a whole lot better shape, wouldn't we?
1: Or if that school shooter's father took uh, that commandment more seriously, yeah. we would be less like, far less likely to have school shooters. When they look at these situations where a young man shoots... 19 kids in a classroom, they find so often that they basically have patterns in their life. And one of the most prominent patterns is, of course, lack of a father or a father image. Mm. There are some people who, for various reasons, their father was killed in the war, don't have a father to take care of them. But they often have a father image. In fact, that's what the Boy Scouts and uh, different clubs, a Boys Club of America and so on, yes. they try to f- meet that need and so you have a father image that you can uh, deal with and that will help you understand what's appropriate. And maybe you, know, you don't have a father but you have an uncle. You have yeah. someone in your family who can take that role and I've talked to a number, and this is pretty common. You talk to many people, and they say, "Yeah, we didn't. Father and I didn't get along very well, but I had an uncle, mm-hmm. who or a stepfather, who was my father, and I see him as my father because he took an interest in me when I was growing up, and he guided me, and so on. And so, it's not just the disobeying God's law not so just affects me, but it affects other people mm. that interact with me.
0: Yeah, somebody to look up to. You know, I I know in my life I've had m- so many mentors so many people that I I look up to, uh, of course, all human, but all who have instilled different values and principles in my life. And I think that's really, really important. Let's take another tack for just a second. Let's, Let's look at the business world. You know, thou shalt not bear false witness. All right. Uh, When it comes to the business world, some people don't take that very seriously. They're like, well, whatever whatever we can do to get ahead, if that means a a little white lie here or there or a a big lie here or there. Um, Think of how it would impact um, the corporate world if we all were just honest with each other.
1: Yeah, it'd be a very different world and fewer, of course, problems.
0: Now, Let's change tax just a little bit because we've been looking at objective morality versus absolute morality. What has caused objective morality to um to be propagated as such a uh, a a um an appealing uh, idea? Could it be darwinism
1: uh, yeah, Darwinism of course, has had a huge effect on morality, especially racism and sexism. Okay. And this is an area I've been interested in. I've done a number of chapters on this. And when you bring that up, just recently Science magazine, mm-hmm. the most prestigious magazine, Science magazine in the world, period, mm-hmm. published a long article by a professor from Princeton who basically said Darwin was a racist, pure and simple, and then quoted sections from Darwin mm-hmm. which showed that indeed he was not just a racist but extremely influential races, because for many people, Darwin is the, the light of their life, yes. most important man in their life, yeah. or at least the most important scientist in their career. And therefore, since he was so important, people are going to emulate that, and the best example is, I've done a number of articles about people who became involved in the KKK and other groups, mm-hmm. and I find very important for them, a very important justification was Darwin's own words. And the mm. best of that, best example, I think is David Duke, who wrote his autobiography, which is, I don't know, 900 pages, huge. And as I read his autobiography, I realized that so much of it was simply about Darwinism. Really? And why he was started out as a young earth creationist, believed God created us. In school at Tennessee State University, I believe, mm. he went to school and studied science and studied biology and learned that, indeed, uh, Darwin was a racist, mm-hmm. and he learned that, well, if Darwin accepted this worldview, then I, too, because I accepted, he said, Darwinism. Darwinism, and he quoted many, many leading Darwinists of the last century and basically said, I accepted evolution because of what these people had to say, and many well-known, important evolutionary biologists, he quoted. Really? And therefore, he concluded from that that, indeed, the Negroes are inferior And therefore, interbreeding with them mixes good genes with bad genes. And therefore, I became a racist, although he didn't use the term racist that I recall. But I accepted the worldview that I have as a result of reading and studying evolution, especially Darwin. Really? Really? And he made this very clear, and it's really quite well done. His beautiful book, David Duke's, uh, I think he called it his autobiography, but amazed at so much information, quoting from many well-known evolutionary biologists and stressing that, indeed, I went from a young Earth creationist view, which said we're all defend- descendants of Adam and Eve, therefore we're all equal, uh-huh. accepting we're all equal to a evolutionary and thus a racist worldview as a result of studying evolution.
0: Okay, now this racist worldview as a result of studying evolution uh, has, has only taken over because people respect Darwin so much. They exactly. believe that he's, you know, he's held almost on a pedestal, I might say almost deified.
1: He is. If you want to insult someone, you say something like, you're not a Darwin. <laughs> you know. Yes, you're not you think you're great but you're not you're not a Darwin oh. you're not a great man like Charles Darwin they oh. may not add that second part to it but indeed and the same thing is true I find with women there's a, a woman a uh, female uh, neurologist who wrote a book and in that book about the problems that women have had in our society one of the major, not really founders, but one of the major inspires of sexism was Charles Darwin. Mm. And she details indeed how Darwin's ideas on women basically influenced society enormously and that he contributed to what she saw as a lot of the problems that women have in this country and this, by the way, was an interview of her in Time magazine. And as a result of reading the interview, I bought her book and therefore I learned in more detail why she came to conclusions conclusion she did. But in the interview in Time magazine, she right away stated the first question – why do we have so much sexism in the world today you can thank charles darwin she made it very clear that he was very important in the problems women have had in this society for the last century and then of course i got her book and she went into detail about why she concluded that
0: now we collaborated on a video project called the dark side of charles of darwin right Mm uh you've written a number of books on that topic right what do people not know about charles darwin's past and sort of his mindset as he's developing these theories?
1: Well, a critical aspect of evolution is you have to have differences between groups because there's no selection. Therefore one group has to have an advantage, has to be superior in certain ways for there to be an advantage. So basically superiority is what causes evolution. We basically select the the better, the superior, et cetera. After doing that, we end up going from apes to people. And so, therefore, you have to have differences. If we're all totally equal, there will be no evolution. And so, therefore, this was important. And as a result, people pick that up and they say, well, yeah, if we interbreed with these inferior people, we're going to end up with inferior children. And so, therefore, that's important to be able to breed with superior People and that's of course basically inspired Hitler as well as the communists as well as other individuals. Certain communists, as Karl Marx, for example, as well as other individuals. And so this idea of superior inferior people was important in evolution and was important in our society, which produced so many problems like World War II and Nazism and so on. Yeah,
0: uh, to to have uh, separation between species basically are races right to have one superior obviously means that one is going to be inferior right or everything else is going to be inferior which really leads to some uh, racist thinking some very very dangerous thinking now was charles darwin Bitter. I mean, why why did he come up with these ideas to try to push God out?
1: He just saw reality the way he the way he viewed it, and he saw reality basically in in interacting with inferior races, Uh and therefore he felt that indeed this is the problem. We need to breed superior races by having the superior, the better, breed with the better. And Christianity says the opposite. Christianity says we help the weak, we help the poor. If someone isn't able to do what we want him to do, we help him. And so, therefore, this idea that we need to, uh, you know, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And therefore, he saw Christianity as opposing evolution and science. And Hitler, by the way, saw the same thing. The problem is in our society, Christianity, we want to eliminate the weak and we don't want to help the weak. We want to make sure that the weak don't breed, at least, and ideally don't survive, and therefore we need to produce a superior race by encouraging and paying money even for the, the, the superior to breed with other superior.
0: Wow, uh, now you're almost getting into eugenics. Can you tell me a little bit about Margaret Sanger?
1: Right, eugenics inspired many people, including Margaret Sanger, and she was concerned about inferior people relative to superior people. And of course, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant or Catholic were the superior people and the Negroes especially were the inferior people. And she wanted to eliminate that inferior group of people. And she did that one way was by producing birth control systems and building birth control clinics, primarily in black neighborhoods. And today I forget the statistics, but something like 80% of all abortions that are performed are performed on blacks and she that was one of her goals mm-hmm. so we we don't want to go out and kill certain races but we can reduce their per- reproduction by birth control and by abortion wow. and that's what she did she made it pretty clear basically that she was concerned about these inferior races
0: so and, in other words in a subtle way she was doing what Hitler wanted to do
1: oh clearly yeah
0: and later became influential in Planned Parenthood, right. Uh, this is the, the danger that espousing Darwinian views uh, can have on a society as a whole. And yet I would say today, the vast majority of those professing to be scientists, right, would would espouse sort of this atheistic worldview that somehow everything evolved, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Studies have consistently shown about 98%, 99% of all active, high-level scientists are atheists. Now, we have a lot of people who call maybe called scientists, but they actually work in a lab doing different lab techniques. They're really technicians and not so much scientists, but those who are at the top echelon of science – Ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent are clearly openly often atheists, like Richard Dawkins, of course, a good example.
0: Do you think that has has to do with peer pressure and academic uh, suppression, if you have any other view?
1: Well, yeah, these... They're different. Therefore you don't want people different who especially have ideas that they feel are a contrast to what they feel is correct. And what they feel is correct is evolution and therefore they want to make sure we all at least as many as possible accept the evolutionary worldview because that's the one they believe is correct. Mm -hmm. And therefore in the schools of course we see pushing in many courses the evolution Darwinistic worldview because well that's they believe that's true and they believe we're better off accepting that worldview because it's true. Right. Right.
0: Uh, okay. We've got about a minute and a half left. Tell me just a little bit about how all of this fits together. Tell me just a little bit about how Darwinism um, contrasts to a biblical view and why is it, it is important. I think we've seen over the last few moments, but why it is so important to maintain this biblical view
1: because i think the best fact is is that we've seen in society that except a darwinistic worldview we see all kinds of problems like of course russia for many years and to some degree this country and we see a country that accepts the christian worldview the creationist worldview does much better. As the Bible says, things will go well with you. And indeed, countries that thrive, that do well, like America has done for the first couple of centuries, accepted the Christian biblical worldview. And we know countries that don't accept that worldview do not tend to do nearly as well. Like Cuba, of course, a good example. But they've rejected that worldview. And as a result, they have all kinds of, I understand, problems in Cuba and Venezuela, North Korea, etc. And therefore, we see as a whole, a nation does better as a whole if indeed they accept a worldview which is biblically based.
0: Thank you, Dr. Bergman, and we'll have to have you back on a future episode. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Changing the Narrative. I'm David Reeves. We will see you next time. Until then, keep looking up, because truly, the heavens declare the glory of God.